Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 136 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 1st of February 2015, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 13, The Acceptance of Offerings. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis, Chapter 4, Verses 1 to 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word as we read again from Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face shall I be hid. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. Thank you for your spirit that lives within. Thank you for the time that we now have. And Lord, we just pray earnestly that you would take thy unworthy servant, use him, speak the words that need to be spoken here today. We give you the praise and honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We are continuing this morning in our series that we've been in for some time, really, that goes back at least three years, Contending for the Faith. And of course, in that Contending for the Faith series, we have looked at a number of what we have said are the fundamental foundational doctrines of Scripture that we must stand upon. And we've tried to look at the differences of things that are fundamental to the Christian faith those that may be important to us as a local church, 
Of course, many things that divide that are not really of that great importance. But we're trying to say, what is the faith that God would have us to contend for? And now today, in those series, we are in, I think it's the 13th, as we have looked at the Genesis account. I've made no apologies that I believe that the Genesis account in God's Word is foundational and fundamental to the Christian faith. And as we have looked there, we have looked during these weeks that the Genesis account, as it is given to us, is vital and fundamental to a clear understanding of, first of all, the very authority of God's Word, for the assertion of God's existence and being, for the absoluteness of God's creation and all that He's done, the advancement of the human race as God meant it to be, for the accountability of mankind to His Creator, to the administration of the home life that God has given us, at the acuteness of man's fall, in the Garden of Eden. We looked most recently at the abolishment of Satan. And last week we were looking at the atonement of sin. All of these we found basically in the first three chapters of Genesis. Now as we move on this morning, as we continue in this, the book of beginnings, I wonder first of all because probably this Sunday, and I doubt very seriously, this is, again, one of those messages that, man, when you get into God's Word, it just goes so deep, and it just keeps going and going, and it's infinite, and you've got to figure out not, well, I've run out, but you've got to figure out where can I stop and cut this off, and certainly what we have been singing about, what we're being looking about here, may I say to you, that the most important event in the entirety of your human life is the day that you recognize yourself as a sinner and humble yourself before a holy God and accept Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary. Nothing more important. But that's the beginning, folks. And what an exciting day and there is absolutely nothing else except the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can agree or disagree or believe or not believe a lot of these other things, but if you miss that, you've missed everything. What I want to say to you today gets uncomfortable for some people. And it gets uncomfortable for one reason alone. It's simply because you don't understand it enough. You say, preacher, I don't understand a lot of the stuff in there enough. I'm saying to you, it is an area that as a Christian you must grow in. But I promise you, there are a few things in your life that will affect and change your day-to-day -day life and all that you do more than this subject that we are talking about. And I beg of you, do not do as we will find that Cain does in this account before us. And he just closed his heart off. He got all sarcastic. He had it all figured out his own way. And he was not willing to listen to God. All I ask is that you listen to what God has to say. You can agree with me or disagree with me or like me or not like me, but be willing to listen to God. And I promise you that I will try to take the utmost care 
not to give you my opinions, which I have plenty of, but to give you some very basic foundational truths that we find here that if you grasp them, I promise you it will change your life inside and out for the better. Have you ever wondered where the practice of giving really began? <laughs> Have you ever wondered where the practice of giving offerings to God at its beginning? Why do we as a church, why do we pass those bags like we did earlier to receive an offering for the Lord? Why do we, as I know sometimes looked upon as an old-fashioned in the past church in comparison to where many have gone today, but why do we even still have such a practice in our services? Why not stop it altogether like some, or maybe, not to be critical, but maybe just put a box at the back and let people do their own thing there? Why, over the years, though I try not to get on a hobby horse and hound anything, but yet, in the 25 years that I've been here, <laughs> Why is it that I've tried to encourage in all of those years that you take the example of God, that you give faithfully, that you actually know that what you're doing is not hurting you, but it's for your own good. If you picked up one of the bulletins this morning and week after week, there's an order of service in there. And if you go down where it gets to that part where we receive of that offering when that bag goes by, it actually says in your bulletin for very good reason, it says worship through giving. Some people think the worship part of the service is just when the band's playing or the songs are being sung. That's when worship and all the other stuff is just stuff that's tacked on. But I've got news for you. I hope that we don't do anything here this morning that's not worshiping God. But there's a reason. Why is it that we list that there as worship through giving? Well, we don't need to speculate on those things. You see, the answer to those questions and many others, I pray, will be answered even as we work through these few verses here in the book of Genesis and some others. You see, as with these other important things that we have looked at in these first three chapters, we find that it is right here in the Genesis account that the foundation is laid for the act of giving, for the act of us giving offerings to God and those gifts being acceptable to God. I remember reading the story, and I don't want to be too crude, but it was about two men that were outside, and it was probably a day like today when it was pretty cold and nippy and all that, and, but they were outside the church, and they had next to no clothes on. And people were looking at them kind of strange, and for the Stephen, one guy looked over at the other, and he says, wow. He said, I never had a sermon on giving move me like that before. Well, I'm not going to try to get you to move so much that you give away your clothes and, and, and leave here and, and freeze this morning, but I pray this. I pray that God's Word 
will move each and every one of us to have a clearer understanding of his word and what he wants to say to us on this matter of giving. You see, some people shy away and, and sometimes preachers are nervous about even preaching on it. And, you know, I, I probably, probably have upset more people with it than I even I realize. <laughs> but it's one of those subjects that I, I you know, you, you hardly ever preach on without somebody having a problem with it. Well, everything that we have seen so far in this book that we've looked at, the book of beginnings, these first three chapters, in chapter three alone, we saw God dealing directly with the fall in the garden, dealing directly with Adam and Eve and Satan and, and all of creation. We saw the picture there of God's great atoning work on man's behalf as he himself supplied that covering that made it possible for man to be at one with God again and to be in the presence of God. We saw the results of their sin as man was sent forth from the garden because of that sinful state that he'd fallen into. And then the very next thing, the very first thing we read in the Word of God following man's expulsion from the Garden of Eden, notice right here in chapter 4, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she began again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. The very first thing we saw is here God giving another great gift. Adam and Eve, beginning of a family, they recognize that although, that yes, Adam knew Eve, even though that they have had that relationship that is meant for only a husband and a wife, they recognize that this child has been gotten from the Lord. Now, we believe that very possibly because of the terminology there, that she actually thought it was the fulfillment of chapter 3, verse 15, when God promised that seed that would come. We find that it's also by some believe that because there's no space between verse 1 and 2, that possibly Cain and Abel were twin brothers, that they came at the same time. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. And to be quite honest, it's not really important. But what we do know is that God gave them these two sons. And then, of course, we see that he tells us that these two sons have grown to adulthood and they have their own livelihoods. One is a, a tiller of the ground, making his living from what the earth produces, and the other is a, a herdsman of sheep, both very honorable professions that these men are involved in. Well, I want us to look as we move forward. I want us to look first of all in verses 3 and 4 at simply the act of giving. You see, God again has initiated the giving. Giving the greatest gift of all that each of us have, and that is life itself. And of course, the only way that that life could truly be is in the gift of His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten son. 
we find that God has initiated that here. But he says in verse 3, and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the first things of the flock and of the fat thereof. Now, we saw how that God actually visited Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, again, you can agree or disagree or whatever. <laughs> I know that in the beginning, God, as always through all of eternity, has been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I know that Jesus Christ was there. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything created that is. God in the flesh. Probably Jesus Christ is walking with them there in the garden, folks. God in the flesh. Walking, communicating, and talking just as he did when he came. That manger in Bethlehem. But, you see, God had appointed times that he would come down into the garden and he would talk with Adam and Eve. He would have fellowship with them. He would walk with them in the garden and we saw all that. Well, here he's still paying visits and in process of time it came to pass. What was it Cain and Abel brought offering unto who? Unto the Lord. So it was the Lord that was, that was present there with them. He's still paying visits now not just to Adam and Eve but to their family Again, part of at least one of those conversations that he had with them is recorded for us right here in God's Word that we can know what went on between God and his first family. It seems that the time being spoken of here and in process of time. There must have been times that had been set aside for this family to worship God, you say, why would you say that, preacher? Well, I'm just saying it seems that it must have been because why else would they have been meeting him with offerings? It says they came unto him with offerings. They brought offerings unto him. So it wasn't just a casual conversation that they were having, but they came unto the Lord with their offerings. Why does one bring an offering? I mean, an offering, it's a it's a gift. It's a, a tribute to someone. It's a present. It's even an, an oblation. It's something to show someone, and particularly deity, their value and their worth, that they mean something to you and how much that they're worth to you. You see, the bringing of offerings to God is an act of worship to show how much that he means to us. He is the one that's worthy. We've been singing about it this morning. He is the one that is worthy of our worship. And we find it all throughout the Word of God. Make no mistake. The first act that we see here in Genesis chapter 4, once that man has been put out of the Garden of Eden, the first Thing that we see is man in an act of worship to God, his creator. That's what's there. I'm, I'm not reading that in. It's right there. We read it right here in God's word. Well, I'm, I would ask you another question. What do we mean by worship? Now, if you go way back, we spent a long time in this series 
on the New Testament church. We talked much about that subject of worship. You can find it online. I'll give you printed if you want it, but let me just remind you of a couple of things. People get all kinds of ideas of what worship is, but in the Old Testament, the word that's most commonly translated as worship means literally to bow oneself down, to prostrate oneself. They normally went down on their knees and then put their forehead right down on the ground. That's what the word means in the New Testament. It means almost exactly the same thing except it has added to it the idea in the Greek of kissing their feet while you're down there or kissing the hem of their garment, bowing down, humbling yourself before one, showing them their worth by kissing their feet of the ground before them. Our old English word that these Hebrew and Greek words have been translated into comes from an old English Saxon word that means worth-ship. <laughs> That's how we get worship, worth-ship. Showing someone their worth of what they're truly worth. Worship incorporates actions that are motivated by an attitude that comes from within. We can't worship God. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We can't worship God in the externals. We can have the greatest musicians. We can have the greatest songs. We can put the greatest choir up there. We can find the greatest preacher on the planet. We can do it all. And yet it not be worship. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. It's an attitude of the heart. It's got to come from within. It's motivated by what's happening inside us. A heart that reveres, that honors, that shows how much that he's worth to us. How much that he's valued by us. We get lost sometimes in all the mechanics. We say that we're worshiping God, but there's nothing happening inside of us. Sitting back there, making notes that have nothing to do <laughs> playing on computers, passing notes to one another, minds out there on what we're going to have for lunch today or how we're going to do all those things we've got to do next week. Folks, we might be in a church building, but we're not worshiping God. But that's where our hearts are at. It's impossible. You can call it worship all you want. I like what John MacArthur says here. And I quote him, he says, that consuming, selfless desire to give to God is the essence and the heart of worship. It begins with the giving first of ourselves and then of our attitudes and then of our possessions until worship is a way of life. It's not something we come together to do just for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings and an hour and a half on Sunday evenings. It's a way of life, giving God his proper place in our lives. So we begin our chapter with, again, God's work of creation, don't we? God giving that glorious gift of life again 
to that man and that woman that he had created in the garden, they knew. And you know, it's one of those most phenomenal, amazing miracles. We don't live in a day when we get to see as many miracles as some have. <laughs> Every time a child is born, how that God did this to where that literally, yes, <laughs> that seed of that man and that woman, they come together and, and that child is a part of both of them and yet that life is given only by God himself. God created that life. That's the only way that life can exist. God gives that gift of life, this gift of children, this family unit. That's followed with that creator meeting together with his creation for the purpose of worship. For the purpose of worship. You know, of all the things that could have been recorded, I mean, how long a list could we make? The first account we have in the Garden of Eden is that thing that upsets so many things, giving. God once again giving and then man giving back to God. We find that man is bringing an offering, a gift. Now, folks, worship is not meant to buy favors with God. You can't uh, improve your position with Him because that you write a big check, because that you give a big gift. But I promise you this, and you mark this down, and please listen carefully. I don't care, and I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying this because you've got to grasp this, and I was as stubborn as anybody, and I wish there was some way that I could pour into you the reality of what God is giving us here. You can say until you're blue in the face that you love God. You can say that He means a lot to you. But I want to tell you something. You show how much He's really worth to you by your actions. Now, maybe that's been done in ignorance, and praise God, won't treat it like Cain did. But may we understand, you can't really love him. You can't really give him that place of value and yet ignore him and treat him like that he means nothing. So the first thing that we see in this passage is simply the act of giving. God giving to his creation, that creation giving back his creator. Man showing God his value by being willing to give to him that which is of value to him. Now, as we look at this and we see that act of giving, and I'm not going to get into all this this morning, but we have to understand not only is there the act of giving, but we see here as that gift is given, the acceptance of that gift. The act of giving that is done, first of all, by God and then by man. But the next thing we see is whether or not God accepts that gift that we're giving to him. Is it an acceptable gift? Because we have two people here in this account. You see, it says, in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. 
the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Two people here that are at least outwardly performing an act of worship. Both of them bringing gifts unto the Lord. What the Bible says, they both did that. But those gifts, one of them, God says, yes, I'll accept that gift. But the other one, God says, no, that gift isn't accepted. Now, on the surface, I say, well, that's a bit ungracious of God, isn't it? Somebody bring you a gift and you refuse it? God is God. And in everything, though we may never grasp and understand it, you remember, He is God. He is sovereign. He makes no mistakes. We may have trouble understanding. You see, as these men came before God with this offering, as God accepts one and He doesn't the other, we ask ourselves, well, why? If they both brought God a gift, why would He accept one and not the other. Well, may I say that that's been the object of much speculation by many, many, many Bible scholars that are way, way, way more knowledgeable than I am or than I ever will be for many years. There's two popular reasons that are given of why God rejected King's offering. One, first of all and foremost, is that it was the wrong kind of offering. One possibility given for that is that Cain's offering was the wrong type because he brought of that which he produced from the ground, produce, whereas Abel brought a lamb. Now, first of all, things we know. We know for a fact, verse 3, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. We know for a fact, verse 4, that Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. We know for a fact, because we've already studied through Genesis chapter 3, that in Genesis chapter 3, when God shed the blood of an animal to make a covering for man and woman, both literally and figuratively, that God shed that blood as part of that atonement. We know that later, under the law, which hasn't been given here yet. We know that it would be required to bring a blood sacrifice for a sin offering. All those things are scriptural and they're biblical and we know them for a fact. But they're saying things that we don't know that sometimes we assume. You see, first of all, we don't know what instructions have been given to Cain and Abel concerning this offering that was being brought to them. We know from many things that are said and done that they clearly must have had some kind of instruction, but we don't know how they had been instructed. We don't even know that the offering that they were bringing was a sin offering. We don't know if a sin offering was what was being required in this instance. If it were a sin offering, then yes, it would have to be a meat sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Matter of fact, we don't even know strictly from the Word of God whether the offering that was prescribed by God was what was being brought here or whether it was something that was being done spontaneously out of their hearts, out of hearts of thanksgiving. 
we know that they brought this offering to God and that God accepted one and that God didn't accept the other. Now, could that be the reason or at least maybe part of the reason for God not accepting Cain's offering? Yes, it could have been. But it requires some assumptions that we simply don't know to say definitely that was why that God didn't accept it. Now, if you look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12, where that this is mentioned, it seems to add significant weight to the possibility that this was a sin offering. Because here in Hebrews 12, 24, the Word of God says this. It says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better than that of Abel. Well, we know that Abel had brought a blood sacrifice, meat offering. And he is saying to us here very clearly that the atoning power of Jesus' blood speaks a lot better than what Abel brought. That still doesn't say absolutely certain that Abel had to bring a sin offering, that that's why he rejected Cain's. I'm just saying that, yes, that could be part of the reason why, because it was the wrong type of offering. Another reason often given is because it was of inferior quality, that it wasn't good enough. You know, <clears throat> have you ever have you ever had somebody give you a gift and you just thought, oh no, what am I going to do with this? Maybe it was one of those god awful knitted sweaters that nobody would wear in public, but that everybody gets for Christmas occasionally. Maybe it's something that, you know, you thought, well, I would never, ever, ever wear that in public. Most of us have received something that we could relate to that. But we just, in those cases, we just tend to say, man, I don't want that. It's too, we just graciously accept it. But here, God doesn't. God rejects this gift. But some think that that's the reason. Now, again, what do we know? We know that Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Now, what is that saying? Well, we can look at a lot of things. We can follow it over into Leviticus and Exodus. But may I say to you in simple terms, it means that Abel brought the very best of the best. God got the best that he had. We know that under the law, God would come to require the firstborn of the flock. Exodus 13, 2, Exodus 34, 19, if you want to look those things up. We also know that God would come to require the fat and what that means. Leviticus 3, 9 to 10, 16, 4, 19 to 20, 25 to 26. I'll give you all those references if you want. We know that God would require the first fruits, whatever kind of offering, because now keep in mind, if it wasn't a sin offering, there are all kinds of other offerings in Scripture. You find that even when you go and look at the grain offering, for example, that it's still required the first fruits. 
God got the best. He didn't get the leftover stuff, the wilting stuff. What was left over at the end, if he was lucky, he got the first before even you got your own. Always. Now, you might kind of repulse say, well, why does that have to be? He's God. And I promise you, if you give him the place that God deserves and ought to have in your life, you will never lose out. We know that all through Scripture, God's requirements, Brother Steve, is always the first fruits of whatever that offering might be. Now, what we don't know, we don't know for sure what quality that Cain's offering was. The Bible doesn't say that the, the, the fruit of the, of the ground that Cain brought was wilting and wasn't very nice. It was the small stuff and not the big stuff. It was the stuff that was left over. It, the Bible doesn't tell us that, does it? We don't know. Now, we can assume God went to the point there to tell us that Abel brought the best of the best. But he didn't even tell us what kind of quality. He just told us that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. So you're going to have to assume don't take and, and say that God has said something that he hasn't. Could that have been the reason? Or again, part of the reason why God rejected this offering. And yes, it could have been. We can see it as a, as a strong possibility because of what God tells us about Abel's and doesn't tell us about Cain's. But, you know, maybe Cain was trying to get by with giving God lesser quality the damaged stuff, the second best, the leftovers. <laughs> you see, that is never, ever acceptable to God. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> oh, I'll give God an offering, but it's just what I happen to have left after I finish taking care of me and all my bills and all the things that I need and all the things that I want. I'm just simply saying to you, you still have to assume some things that the Bible isn't specific about there but we do know for certain that it could be part of the reason because of what God requires. We just don't know whether Cain's met that requirement or not. You see, they're both legitimate reasons for Cain's offering not being acceptable to God. There's some things we know for sure here. And the problem is, is that I know something else for sure, and I can't believe it. And that's what that clock says, 25 past 12. <laughs> My time is gone. I could preach to you the rest of the afternoon if you want to sit there. And i got a whole lot to go through yet. And I want to tell you something. What I'm going to tell you of the things that we do know, we know that these are two reasons that could have been all a part of the reason why God rejected it. But I want to give you some specific things that we know that the Bible tells us about them, why they weren't acceptable to God. And what is acceptable to God. And I'm going to tell you this. You know, I want to share some exciting things with you about this whole matter and what it can do for you. But I want to leave you with this thought today. Just from what we have seen, first of all, may I ask you earnestly and honestly, do you know with absolute certainty that the one that created you and gave you life and put you here 
the one that gave the greatest gift of his son when he gave him on the cross of Calvary to die that sin death for that sin atonement, to shed his blood because without the shedding of blood is no remission. But the blood of Jesus was sufficient for you. God gave you life. And God gave you the gift of the very blood of his own son to pay for your sins today. May I say, whatever else. Do you know, why would you want to leave here not knowing that that blood had been applied to your heart? Why would you want to take that risk or that chance? Please, please, please. Come and see me, one of these deacons, one of these other Christians after this service. If you don't know that for certain, there's nobody here going to try to con you into something you don't want. We sure like to take God's Word and show you. But let me say this to you Christians. Man, I, haven't even, I wish I could have got further this morning. I've got some really exciting things I want to show you about this. But I want to say to you this morning, the very first thing that we see from mankind, once that God has given him that family and put him out there into this world, the very first thing we see is man worshiping God through the act of giving. God gave us everything. We see man in turn worshiping him through giving. God deserves your best. I can say to you, and you know, some people say, you know, we can look around. Matter of fact, the deacons and some of the council members, they know that I'm in the process of writing a letter to you right now of some things that we really need to pray about. Look around. God has blessed us so much. We've got some big jobs that have just come upon us. We've got some water damage that's got to be sorted out. We've got some roof work that's got to be done. We've got some cracked bricks out there that's got to be taken care of. And you know what? It's a lot of money to do those jobs. We don't keep money laying around in the bank. I promise you that. But God's always met our needs. As a church family, we just need to pray and trust God on these matters. Some people say, well, you're just doing all this because the church needs my money. I've got news for you. The church isn't going to survive or not survive just because of you. Jesus Christ is building his church. Now, yes, you might make it a little easier on the church if you actually cared like you cared whether it was here or whether it wasn't here. You know, I said when we, when we looked at some of the, the things on giving during the, the New Testament church and, and tithing and all of that, that uh, and sometimes we just kind of take for granted. We're going to go along and it's all going to be there. But every month those lot bills have to be paid. Those gas bills have to be paid. All those things that keep it going have to be paid. They don't take care of themselves. So, yeah, if you're part of it, you ought to feel a little responsibility instead of just leaving it for everybody else to do. I don't say that mean. But we're in this together. We're a body together. And God has set up a way for it. But you know what hurts me the most? It's what it's costing you. Because God will meet our needs. And I believe with all my heart, and you know it, that's why that even for our congregation, that's why we support the number of missionaries we do at the mounts that we do, because our main goal is winning the loss to Christ from here to the very ends of the world. And we do a lot of other things as far as ministry, but it all comes back. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and we're here that the work of Jesus Christ might be carried on through us. We're not ashamed of that, and God will meet our needs as He always has. We're not going to have to start having bake sales and go out to the world and ask the world, God will do it His way through His people. So many times I see Christians struggling. 
They're struggling with this. They're struggling with their own finances. They're struggling to pay this and to pay that. But yet, the greatest principle at all that will affect them. I know you go to the world, they'll tell you you're crazy. But the thing that will help you more than anything else, though it makes no sense to the world, is to put God first. Trust Him. Believe Him. If He doesn't take care of you, then He's a liar and none of us have got a hope. But He's promised. And we'll look at some of those things. The promises are phenomenal. You know what? Whether or not you give any gifts during the worship to God, it's not going to affect whether you go to heaven or not. And you know what? God's not going to bring down a bolt of lightning and just wipe you off the face of the earth because you've been so stingy probably. But you know what? I like what he said, what Malachi said. He said, prove me. Prove me. He said, God just wanting to Raise the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you can't withstand. Prove me. I want to promise you. I, folks, if I'm living, if I'm breathing, may God strike me dead where I'm at. I had to learn the hard way. But God never fails when you put Him first. There is absolutely no way that your pastor, even today, if you sat and looked at what's coming in and what's going out, it does not make any sense whatsoever. But God always, always, when I learned to put Him first, <laughs> that doesn't mean that there haven't been tight times, but that wasn't because of God. That's because I've done some pretty stupid things with my money as well. <laughs> You'll never go wrong with putting God first. Oh, I hope you can be here and grasp these things the next couple weeks. You know, one thing that bothers me, you thank God for the ministry, just like you know that everybody can't hear it. What about the others that aren't here today? What about the others? Well, praise God. Get it right in your life and then let them see it. Let your life testify to them. It's something that will change your life. We're going to sing our closing hymn. That was a long conclusion, I know. We're going to sing our closing hymn. <coughs> and you know what? I don't want you to sing it unless you mean it. It's another old hymn. But if you can sing it from the heart, sing it from the heart today and truly say to God, God, I surrender all. I surrender all. It's all to you, God. Please, please, try to be back next week catch the next part it'll be exciting for you I promise if you can grasp it even if you don't grasp it all in one time I was a knucklehead it took me a few times of hearing it all before I, I really began to put it into practice and, and see God does it and he always does it but if you don't trust him you see we'll see that worship really is an act of love it really is about faith trusting him but if you'll trust him today Will you sing from your heart? Will you at least say to God, Lord, I surrender all. And I'm going to at least open my heart to see what you've got to say about this matter. And, and, and I just, Lord, I want to grasp it more and more better than I ever have before. I want to see you really working in my life. As we stand, as we sing together, if you're here, you'd like someone to pray with you, if you'd like to talk with someone, we've got people here to, to help you with that. Well, let's all sing from our hearts. In closing, I surrender all.